Hi, this is Sean. Welcome to the Liberty Blues. On today's podcast, we have a very special guest, Indiana gubernatorial candidate for the Libertarian Party, Donald Rainwater. We had a discussion with him and we covered the gambit on what the future of the Libertarian Party is in Indiana, how you can get active in, uh, in your local areas, um, how to donate to him, and all that good stuff. You know, we talk about the Second Amendment, uh, lockdowns, and everything that uh, plagues us at this time. So without uh, further ado, let's uh, get to Donald Rainwater. Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of the Libertarian Blues. Um, I'm Sean Osborne. And I'm Steve Marin, uh, ed- high school educator from Lafayette, Indiana. Yes, indeed. And today on our uh, program, we have a very special guest, Donald Rainwater, governor, governor, uh, governor candidate of Indiana. <laughs> How you doing, Mr. Rainwater? I'm doing awesome, and, uh, and thank you for having me. Yeah, our, our pleasure. So let's get started. I'll ask you... Um, so what was your what was your road to libertarianism? Like how, how and when did you uh, first run into the Libertarian Party? Well, that that's a great question. And I don't know. I, I probably can't tell you where I first ran into uh, where, where I first became aware of the Libertarian Party. I'd say that was probably sometime uh, in the last 40 years. I've. Uh, pardon me. Over over the last 40 years. Uh, of voting, I've probably voted for libertarians um, a dozen times or more. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what really got me involved in politics and got me looking for a uh, a political home was uh, taxation. Amen. <laughs> And Steve is probably uh, very aware of this. Uh, they like to constantly talk about raising the cigarette tax in Indiana. Now, I quit smoking about probably seven years ago, but in 2016, they started talking about raising the cigarette excise tax. And the conversation was around the fact that what they wanted to do was encourage people to stop smoking and raise revenue. And I just thought that was the most ridiculous thing that I had ever heard that somebody thought that I would buy into the idea that you could get people to stop smoking and raise revenue at the same time. a cigarette excise tax. And it frankly, it offended me and it pissed me off. Yeah. These people think that we are so stupid that we'll buy into that. And so I started paying a lot more attention to the nuts and bolts of what was going on at the Indiana General Assembly, the legislative body here in the state of Indiana. And the more attention I gave to it, pardon me, the more irritated I became. And this was in 2016. So I decided, I told my wife, I said, I'm getting up off the couch and I'm going to get involved. And I knew I couldn't get involved with the Republicans here in Indiana. We have a uh, Republican supermajority. So they were the ones 
who were trying to perpetrate the fraud of we're raising, we want to raise this tax to get people to stop smoking and raise revenue. So I knew I wasn't going to be a Republican. And I've never believed uh, in the uh, shtick of the Democrat Party either. Yeah. So I felt like I needed to find somewhere where I could hang my hat and say, these people believe what I believe. And the more I thought about it, the more I thought, you know what, the Libertarian Party, I voted for a lot of Libertarians. I, I really believe in their platform. Uh, so I went to a Libertarian Party meeting, just happened to be their county convention uh, in my county. And I walked in and I said, hey, I, I know you guys don't know me, but uh, I'm pissed off and I want to run for office. <laughs> like, that's awesome. <laughs> was yeah. like, that's the answer I was looking for. And <laughs> so I got involved with the party. I ran for state Senate uh, in 2016. Uh, and uh, from there, uh, it, my commitment has grown. Uh, and of course, two years ago, I ran for mayor of, of the city that I live in here, Westfield, Indiana. And then this last year, I ran for governor of the state of Indiana because I felt like somebody needed to stand up for individual rights and constitutionally limited government against uh, what has become the two old parties just constantly just expanding and growing government. So that's yeah. the, the path. Yeah, you know, you know me, like when it came to like that taxation thing, like say with cigarettes, to me, that's other people taxing somebody else. You know, the, the people who smoke or, you know, like say those, all those sin taxes. Right. Those are taxes legislated by people who don't do that. You know, it's, it's a moral tax against somebody else. It's, it's, it reminds me of taxation without representation. Smokers didn't say, hey, raise the tax on us. So we so we're most more likely to not smoke or anything like that. It's it's people implying their morals and then, you know, cashing in on somebody. That, that's kind of the way I looked at it, too. I've, I've always hated that. Right. And, and I will, I'll take that a step further and I'll say that it, you know, there are probably plenty of smokers in the Indiana General Assembly, but they're uh, well-to-do smokers. Yeah, right. Right. They can afford to raise the cigarette tax another $2. They don't care. Mm -hmm. But it is a, in my, in my opinion, uh, taxes like the, the, the cigarette excise tax, the gasoline excise tax, mm -hmm. uh, these are regressive taxes that disproportionately adversely affect lower income Hoosiers, in, in my case, citizens. Yeah. And therefore, um, that's where the problem comes in. Because you may have 60% uh, of the population say, yeah, well, it's only a few cents or it's only a couple of dollars or it's not that big a deal. But to the 40% of the population that don't know where that $2 is going to come from, 
it's a huge deal. Yep. And when people say, well, they should quit smoking. <laughs> well, the problem is, is government knows that nicotine is an addictive chemical. Yeah, easier said than done. And and so they want to they want to raise that tax because they know those smokers will continue to smoke. They know those people aren't going to stop smoking just because you raise the excise tax. Mm -hmm. That's why they want to raise that tax because they know they'll raise that revenue. And yep. that, in my estimation, is unethical. Government should not be taking advantage of what what to me is a scenario whereby you know if you if you really want to help smokers why don't you make now here again i'm a libertarian i do not believe in prohibition but my my comment to them is always if you really thought it was bad why don't you outlaw the cigarettes oh i know because you're getting too much money from the tobacco lobby of course you're not going to outlaw cigarettes yeah. <laughs> and here in Indiana, we're trying to get cannabis legalized. We can't get cannabis legalized because it's a gateway drug. Yeah. Which I think is funny because our governor admits that he smoked it in college. So my question would be when he says it's a gateway drug, what gateway did that open for him? Right. But, you know, it's it's the double standard. It's, oh, yeah. cannabis is bad for you. But cigarettes are okay. You can keep smoking. It's that's all right because we're getting revenue off of that. Yeah. It's just it's just terribly disingenuous. Yeah, they did they did out here in California with the cannabis uh, stuff. You know, they they've they've made such insane taxes on it that it kept the black market open. It's it's just right. It's it's ludicrous. I am well, happy. And they're just government's not smart enough to understand the damage that they do trying to raise money because really if government were not government if it were private enterprise government would be organized crime mm -hmm. and government would end up uh indicted for corrupt business influence yeah and and that's the thing that we as citizens have to take a step back and realize is that we are letting our government get away with things because we think we're subservient to them. Mm -hmm. and that we're supposed to subju uh, subjugate ourselves to them. And the reality is, is they work for us, not the other way around. Indeed. And, and, and that's where the problem comes in. Yeah. So speaking of the, uh, the, the Indiana government, well, uh, you've been talking lately, I see about them not wanting to go to work to, to deal with the issues. What, can you tell people more, a little bit more about that? Well, uh, one of the things that we've had here, obviously, with the pandemic is the, the governor uh, and his uh, leadership in the Indiana General Assembly um, have decided here in Indiana that they're only going to work one day a week. <laughs> um, I bet they get paid the same, right? They absolutely get paid the same. Um, but they're only going to have session one day a week. Um, now, here again, it, that might be okay if it weren't for the fact that 
previous sessions of the Indiana General Assembly passed statutes that give our governor broad-reaching powers if he declares a health emergency. So on March 6th, he declared a health emergency while the General Assembly was out of session. And he has unilaterally governed for the last 10 months and shut down businesses and places of worship, uh, schools, uh, at, at his decision. And we've said all along, he shouldn't have that power. As a matter of fact, when during the debates, uh, during the governor's race, I clearly said that on day one, if I'm elected, I would go to the General Assembly and ask them to repeal the statutes that gave the governor all this extra power. And I challenged the other two men, including the incumbent, to do the same. And of course, neither of them would. Because mm -hmm. they want that power. And see, that's the the reality is, is we should not elect people to office who want to be there. Yeah, that's that's true. The way I like say with the lockdowns and, and, and all that stuff, you know, um, I don't think the government really should have that power to to lock things down, especially because it's a blanket thing. You know, not not every area is being affected. It ought to be more localized. If if there's having a problem, you can close that down. I think Steve had a question about that because you know he's a teacher. So, Absolutely. You know, so how how would you see it, Steve, as a teacher? Yeah, I mean, my question is how how do you think um, schools should handle this this pandemic? I mean, as far as he, yeah, you teach high school, so it's not an elementary kind of thing either. So right. you know, the high school. Well. Teacher. First of all, I, let, let me take a step back and on a much broader, in a much broader sense, um, schools should be administered locally. I am not a fan of uh, the Federal Department of Education. As a matter of fact, uh, most of my education uh, occurred prior to uh, the enactment of the Federal Department of Education, and I believe it was 1978. Uh, I graduated high school in 1981. So most of my education occurred before there was a federal uh, Department of Education. I don't believe we need a federal Department of Education, and I don't believe that the State Department of Education should have the power that it has. I think we need to get back to the place where the parent-teacher associations, uh, the school boards, and, and the parents have more say, and the teachers have more say in how the schools are run, and the bureaucrats uh, in the state legislatures uh, should have less say in how schools are run. And I think that that goes hand-in-hand uh, -hand with uh, the pandemic situation. I believe that there are schools that can figure out how to run school in a safe manner. And each school is going to have their own, each school district 
is going to have their own plan and their own uh, best practices. And this one size fits all, whether it be for uh, educational curriculum or whether it be for how we handle a pandemic uh, or anything else for that matter, one size fits all doesn't fit anybody and it never works. Mm -hmm. So uh, Steve, to answer your question you know, directly, I feel like it is not the bureaucrats in government's responsibility nor authority to decide how schools handle the pandemic. I think it is should be up to the individual school administrations, the school boards, which are duly elected by the local citizens and the parents and the teachers to get together and figure that out. It seems like that would be easier to hold people accountable. What do you think of that, Steve? Oh, I'm in total agreement. I mean, I feel like, 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 like you said that the uh, the school board are elected officials, and I and I feel like, you know, it. I totally agree with the the one size fits all does not work for everybody. So, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, you know, like out here, you know, uh, in particular, they they've proven that the the lockdowns. You know, we're one of the states that have the most lockdowns, and everything's just out of control here in Chicago. I heard Mayor Lightfoot wants to start opening up as fast as possible because you know they're uh, they, the lockdowns just haven't worked. You know, so that hasn't worked on this total thing. I think it really needs to be a localized thing. You know. It's easier to hold somebody who lives down the street from you accountable than it is somebody in Washington or in Indianapolis or here in Sacramento or whatever. You, know, you just well, and, and I've gone as far as to say, and and I truly believe this, Sean. the The reality is, is that in a crisis, in a liberty society, which is what we're supposed to be um, mm -hmm. working toward, in a liberty society. You decide how to protect yourself, your household, your family, your place of business, your place of worship, and I to figure out how best to protect myself and my family. Mm -hmm. It's not for me to tell you what you need to do, nor is it for you to tell me what I need to do. And when somebody says, but you don't understand, you, you, we need to protect you and everybody else from you. I mean, <laughs> no, I'm sorry. That's actually a bunch of malarkey. Yeah, I think it because actually- Because if you want to be protected from me, it's your responsibility to stay the hell away from me. Mm -hmm. Right. But that yeah. doesn't mean that I need to curtail my behavior for you. Yeah, the way I see it is they've really forced people together who don't agree in that sense. Like for me, my mom's high risk, so I, I wear a mask. I, you know, I, I've barely been out of the damn house in, right. in the last year, you know, so, you know, because it is bad out here. So I take it easy. And, you know, when I go out someplace, I know people who aren't into wearing masks and don't take the same precautions as me who are going out. The, they're forced into the same places because they don't have their own choice. And I think it actually, you know, it's, it reminds me of that, that, that saying the road to hell is paved with good intentions. You know, they're, obviously the government says they're trying to help people, but really what they're doing is they're causing more problems. You know, if people well, could do that, absolutely. I think they would be safer in that sense. And, and you know, 
you know, President Reagan uh, famously said the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. <laughs> yeah. And, and he also said, and I, and I uh, quoted this a lot during my campaign, in this present crisis, government is not the solution to the problem. Government is the problem. And in that speech, he, pardon me, I'm sorry. He went on to say that throughout history, we at times as a society decide to give up our free will over to a group of elites that we believe somehow are smarter than us and should be telling us what to do and that that's wrong. And I believe that he was right. I believe yeah. that's wrong. I believe that it is a terrible mistake to subjugate your free will and your common sense and your best judgment and listen to a bunch of people who they may say they have your best interest at heart, but they don't act like they do. Because here again, telling somebody, I'm sorry, I know that your business is the only means that you have of feeding your family and paying your bills and, and ensuring the, the economic stability of your household. But, you know, you're not really essential, so you're going to have to close your business. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but somebody that does that is, does not have everybody's best interest at heart. That is not the, the way that we make sure that everyone has life, liberty, property, and the pursuit of happiness. Uh, what that is, is picking winners and losers. Anytime government says you're non-essential, what they're saying is, is you're less than somebody else. Mm -hmm. And that's just wrong. Yeah. Because we all as individuals are equal. Yeah, you know, and, and now here in California, you have these people that make these uh, these mandates and stuff, and they can't even follow their own damn rules. You know, well, Governor. It's Newsom, always yeah, it's always rules for thee, not for me. Yeah, you know, Governor Nuisance, he, uh, you know, he goes to uh, he goes out to eat. You know, Nancy Pelosi goes out and get her hair cut, and everybody, you know, not wearing a mask. And it killed me because you know, Nuisance, he was out there with, uh, you know, with the with the California health health guy sitting right next to him, elbow to elbow with it. You know, mm -hmm. they, and they're the guys that are sitting here telling us this is horrible, this and that. And they're also they're they're also able to get testing that the rest of us can't get. You know, they right. they have testing as part of their job. You know, the government's disallowed testing, so you know they just made a hell of a mess out of everything. Right. Well, and uh, our own governor here. Um, uh, uh, just a couple of days after telling people they need to wear masks, uh, took a selfie with two young ladies in a restaurant, uh, right up next to each other, no social distancing, no masks, yeah. nice yeah. selfie, posted on Facebook. <laughs> and, and 
And then they wonder why the citizenry rebels. Yeah. Well, of course, if you flaunt in my face that you are, you know, do as I say, not as I do. I, I was telling somebody yesterday, what government doesn't under, seem to understand is that when we're children, our parents tell us, because I said so, do as I say, not as I do. And we resented it then. And the older <laughs> we got, the more we resented it. So as adults, as free citizens in what is supposed to be a liberty-based society, when government tells us to do something that they don't do, then of course we're going to be upset and, and not want to comply because our initial reaction is going to be, you're not the boss of me. Don't tell me what to do, and don't tell me to do something, and then you don't have to do it. So I think what we've run into is we're finally at the point in society when people are so fed up with government treating us like children that we're actually starting to open our eyes and say, the status quo is done. Enough's enough. It's time to make a change. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, you know, especially during the election season, I think you had the best voice about that in, in, in the nation. You know, you and out here in Los Angeles County, Angela McArdle's working really hard to fight against the, the, the lockdowns and stuff. And I think that's what the Libertarian Party needs more of is people to to really stand up and fight against this. And a lot of them, I don't know, so some people just aren't fighting as hard as I think that they should be. I don't think they see the uh, the the end results of all this uh, one size fits all kind of nonsense. Well, I think there's a fine line, and I think there are a lot of folks, especially in the Libertarian Party, who understand the severity of the health risk. Yeah. And because of our core belief in the in the non-aggression principle, the idea of running around without a mask to a lot of people violates the non-aggression principle because what we've been told is that you can be asymptomatic and infect other people. Mm -hmm. What I always tell people is this. I am not anti-mask. I'm anti-mandate. Yep. When I go to Walmart, Walmart says wear a mask. You know what I do? I wear a mask. If I walk into a restaurant, the restaurant says, Sir, from the door to the table, you have to wear a mask. If you get up to go to the restroom, you got to put on a mask. I do that because the business has the right, in my opinion, to stipulate their regulation. But government, in my opinion, does not. And again, it goes back to the one-size-fits-all solution. 
because what government says is we don't know which of you is spreading the virus and who isn't, so everybody's got to wear a mask. Mm -hmm. Well, that's a really slippery slope. Yeah. Government, that kind of authority. Indeed it is. Because one day it'll be, you know, we don't know uh, which of you are uh, violating the speed limit, so we're going to restrict automobile usage for everybody. Right. All right. Well, I'd like to shift gears here for a second. Um, your your dive into politics is is kind of inspiring. What would you tell the average Joe who wants to get involved, who has a full time job and not a lot of financial backing? How do they get into it? Well, I, I think the Steve, the the first thing that I would tell people is. You know, you have to decide what it is you stand for, and then you have to decide whether or not you're going to run as an independent or whether you're going to run uh, as a member of a political party. You've got to find the right party. Of course, I'm a little partial to the Libertarian Party (laughs) and the Libertarian principles. Um, But I, I also believe that, you know, step one is to make the commitment to yourself that Here's why I want to do this. Now, if if the only reason you want to run for office is because uh, it sounds like fun, you need to talk to some people who've run for office. <laughs> it's not all fun. Uh, if you want to do it because you want uh, uh, attention, I suggest you find something else to get attention. If you want to do it, uh, and, and what I tell people is, uh, I want my children and my grandchildren and my grand and my great grandchildren to grow up in the same Indiana I grew up in. Right. And I don't feel like that's possible if we don't grab the reins and stop the stagecoach before it goes over the cliff. Right. You know, in the Libertarian Party, it's easier to make a big splash because, you know, it's, it's a smaller party. So it's a lot easier to really get involved, especially on a local level. You can really make a bigger difference really quick. Well, in, in a way, yes, you can. Now, I will tell you that here in Indiana, they tell us constantly, constantly I've heard for the last four years, you know, if you don't run as a Republican, you can't win. Right. Now, my personality is such that the more they tell me that, the more determined I am to prove them wrong. Yeah. And the more determined I am to change that narrative. Mm-hmm. Not everybody's cut out for, hey, you know, it, it's a long road to hoe. Mm-hmm. And you've got to be willing because you're not going to, you're going to have trouble raising money. And a lot of people don't know how to ask for money. You know, I can look right in the camera and say, my name's Don Rainwater and I'm the libertarian candidate for whatever office. And I can't do this without your financial support. Please go to my website at blah, 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 and donate what you can. If you can donate $50, please donate 75. If you can, (laughs) 
$200, please send me $250. I can do that because of my convictions and because of my personality. Right. I'm, gonna, I'm running a, a political action committee here in Indiana. Right now, we've launched one at the end of the campaign because the fight, the, the work that needs to be done to protect individual rights and to promote constitutionally limited government in the state of Indiana didn't stop when the election was over. So we've launched a, a political action committee. It's called Liberty is Essential. And you can go to www.libertyisessential.com or .net or .us. Go to our website. You can see what we're doing, what we are standing for in the state of Indiana. And uh, you know, I'm gonna ask people whether you live in the state of Indiana or not. When you go to the website, click on the donate button and donate some money to the political action committee so we can continue to work toward the values of individual rights and constitutionally limited government because we can't do it. You, you, everybody knows that Republicans and Democrats get millions of dollars pumped in to their campaign funds and to their organizations in order to grow government so that those organizations that pump that money in can get government to do what they want them to do. And I'll tell you right now, the only way that we're going to counterbalance that is for citizens who care to reach down, pull out their wallet, pull out that credit card, or pull out that checkbook and donate money to campaigns and organizations that are fighting for the libertarian principles that are important to us and to our posterity. Right. So see, I can do that, but not everybody can. Right. Yeah. Definitely. Hey, uh, this, this Zoom meeting is just about out of time. Do you care if we send you another link real quick? And uh, Absolutely. And, and continue the conversation so we don't get cut off. So we'll, so we'll take a little Perfect. break right here, and we'll be right back with the Liberty Blues with Donald Rainwater. Hi, everyone. Sean here. Thanks for listening to the Liberty Blues. Be sure and check out our other podcast. Um, a Progressive and a Libertarian is a podcast I do with my progressive friend, Bernie Sanders. We have more of a bar aspect to this podcast where we discuss uh, the issues of the day. Um, sometimes we agree, sometimes we don't, but we always drink beer. And then we also have Libertarian Los Angeles, which is my solo podcast, where I'll be talking about what's going on in the Los Angeles area in particular, but also California. And sometimes I'll interview people from all over the country who are uh, libertarian activists in their area, and we'll find out how to uh, spread ideas of liberty in your own area. And now, back to the show.
welcome back to the Liberty Blues. Uh, John uh, got got here with us, so he might have something to say. So you were uh, Donald. You were talking about your uh, your group to uh, you know uh, promote libertarianism, get people involved. Um, how how have you found uh, dealing with that right now? Like in this time of uh, censorship, like myself, I just I got booted from Facebook yesterday for a week, and you know they don't tell me what I did, and and honestly, I've been. I've been working really hard at being polite, so I don't I don't really know why I got kicked off, uh, you know, other than people don't like my political views. So how, how have you been able to uh, forward things like that? Well, you know, I, I knock on wood, <laughs> I have not uh, experienced uh, being kicked off of a platform yet. Um, but one of the things that we've done is, um, We've started to build out our website for our pack uh, with the idea in mind that what we want to use social media for is to drive people to our website. Mm -hmm. once, we, once we get enough people, uh, for example, uh, we ask people to come to the website, fill out a contact form, and, and check a box that says, I want email updates and I want the monthly newsletter because the reality is, is what I want people to do is instead of them uh, being out on social media and them saying, well, you need to come to wherever I'm at on social media and interact with me. I want them to come and interact with me at my website. Yeah. Um, that way, what I can provide for uh, our supporters is, if you will, for lack of a better term, a safe space where they know they're going to get information about uh, liberty-minded events and activities that they can be involved in where they don't have to worry about somebody shutting us down uh, because we're not on somebody else's platform. And I think that that is an integral part. One of the things that we now, I've been a software engineer for 20 years and uh, I'm also a project manager. Uh, and one of the things that I believe very strongly in is the fact that what we need to do is develop a platform of our own. Yeah. Now that takes time, that takes money here again. You know, unfortunately, you can't talk about very many things politically without asking people to reach in their pocket, pull their wallet out, donate some money, but you're right. There are way too many libertarian people or libertarian-minded people who are now spread out all over the place. There's Gab, there's MeWe, there's Parler, um, there, and too many to, too many to name. I, I've been invited... You know, I get messages all the time from people who uh, 
our campaign page had 36,000 followers. Mm -hmm. And a lot of those people reach out to me and go, I'm leaving Facebook. You need to come over here and, and, you know, have, well, unless you're doing this full time, you don't have the time to create a presence on 10 different social media platforms. Yeah, that's right. Keep them all up to date and answer everybody's questions and respond to everybody's messages. But what we can do as liberty-minded citizens is we can come together and we can build our own network, our own platform to communicate where we don't have to worry about someone else mm-hmm. um, demonetizing or deplatforming or whatever new term they come up with tomorrow for shutting us down because they don't agree with us. Yeah. That the, the thing about that is like, then, you know, if we don't have those, how do we get that message out to people, to new people? Cause the old people know where it is. But you're Absolutely. right. There's just so many forms. I mean, you, you know, me as a musician, I try to promote my music. Hell, I don't even get time to write music some days because I'm so busy, you promote know, trying it. to post things and everything else. Right. I don't get anything done. Absolutely. And so, yeah. and so here again, I think one of the things that we have to, uh, and I always use the term recalibrate. We have to recalibrate our thought process and the thought process of those that we interact with and reinvigorate the concept of grassroots activism. Mm -hmm. And the foundation of grassroots is what we're doing right now. We're chatting, we're talking, we're sharing a conversation. And the idea that the only way that I can communicate with you is on Mark Zuckerberg's platform is a level of abstraction away from grassroots. Yeah. Grassroots is, hey, give me your email address, give me your phone number, and let's chat, let's talk. Um, but what we've gotten to is the idea that, well, it, I'll just post something and then people. <laughs> Well, it's Mr. Rainwater. Can I uh, interject a little bit about what's um, a question about kind of related, you know, we're talking about raising money um, and, you know, the, the Supreme Court has held that uh, corporations are people for the purposes of, of contributing money. And so many Republicans and Democrats, they get the lion's share of their money by getting very large contributions from uh, multinational corporations. A little bit more difficult for a libertarian who's not promoting, you know, government uh, to get a donation from a multinational corporation because they want their money to work through government as a bribe. And how how does a libertarian party who's anti-government compete monetarily with that those kind of funds that are being donated by multinational corporations to Republicans and Democrats? Well, so. Let me answer that in a, with a couple of different responses. First of all, you can't compete with uh, 
the money that is uh, donated by large special interest groups, whether they be corporations or labor unions or uh, any other association of businesses, um, you can't, because we don't want to be controlled, right? Right. The, the great libertarian conspiracy is we want to take over government and leave you alone, mm. right? Yep. yep. The idea is, is nobody's going to donate a huge sum of money to me so that I can get elected to office and not let them manipulate government. So, first of all, that's not going to happen. What we have to do is we have to have a better message. We have to work smarter, not harder. And if you work smarter and work hard, and you have the right message, and you craft it for the audience, one of the things that I will tell you that I believe uh, we've got to do better as libertarians is we have to understand that what we want are people to vote for us. So we have to say things in a way that the people pushing the voting button understand and can feel comfortable with and can agree with. And it goes the same for fundraising. Nobody's going to give me a $1,000 check if my platform doesn't resonate with them. And I believe that what we sometimes do is we get so caught up in what's important to us that we forget about what's important to the people voting. And so I think a lot in, in a lot of cases, what we have to do, John, is we have to remember who we're who who we're going to get our money from, which is going to be citizens just like us. And we have to fundraise and craft a message that excites enough people to raise enough money to get enough votes to win, which means that the, the catchphrases and the memes that we, we've grown to know and love as libertarians don't necessarily resonate with people who don't identify as a libertarian, but we need their vote. Right. They may not think of themselves as a libertarian today, but when you start talking about libertarian principles and they start going, well, yeah, I agree with that. Well, that's what I think too. Well, yeah, that makes sense. Now, all of a sudden, you're connecting with them. They'll open up their wallet. They'll open up their checkbook. And they'll use their finger to vote for the guy with the L next to his name or the person with the L next to their name, pardon me, because we've reached out to them. Mm -hmm. Most often, I think, we try to get the voters to come to us or the donors to come to us. And we say, well, why aren't we getting more votes? Why don't we get more donations? Well, because we're standing over here with a great message, but we're not sharing it with people in a way that makes them go, 
yeah, that makes sense. And so they're not, because we're not going to them, they're not coming to us. And I think we have to, here again, recalibrate our thought process a little bit and realize that to get them to come to us, we have to go to them first. Gotcha. And you look at somebody like Bernie Sanders. Here's a, a, a little old white guy uh, that looks like one of the Muppets up in the, um, uh, oh, yeah, Sesame. balcony. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, up in the balcony. And he's got college kids sending $20 bills in the millions. Why? Because he took his message to them. Because he engaged them. He got them motivated. And while that's extremely scary, it's also a great lesson that we need to learn as libertarians. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, yeah. Yeah, so that he, he raised most of his money, you know, $20, $50 at a time as opposed to, to millions, which was, which was great for his campaign. Yeah. Unfortunately, what, what is discouraging about that is that after being independent for so many years, he felt that he had to align himself uh, with the Democrats um, when he ran for president. And at some point, yeah. he, and so that, well, the reality is, is that he and, and the people who follow his uh, political philosophies have taken over the Democrat Party. And they will continue to take over the Democrat Party, just like um, the people, in my opinion, who are the traditional Democrats, or what I grew up thinking of a Democrat, are taking over the Republican Party because they have to. The socialists are taking over the Democrat Party. And if your party's being taken over by a group of people that you don't agree with and you can't beat them, you've got to go somewhere else, which is why I believe that liberty-focused people, people who believe in the Declaration of Independence and the Bill of Rights and the idea of personal responsibility and free will, are going to start looking at us in the Libertarian Party. And we have to be ready, willing, and able to reach out to them, take their hand and say, we know what you're looking for. We're looking for the same thing. Come join us. And let's go on this journey together to bring individual rights, freedoms, liberty, and limited government, very small limited government, back to the United States of America. And I believe that those people, now, are they going to uh, jump in both feet, full bore, every platform plank on lp.org? No, they're not. They're gonna to have to grow into it. They're gonna to have to get involved 
and and hear people talk and and self-evaluate and some of the things they'll agree with some of them they won't over time they'll agree with more and we'll build a stronger party because of it but we have to recognize that there is a fundamental shift in politics in the United States right now. Mm -hmm. And that there are people, citizens, who are looking for something. And we're it. We just have to be able to let them see that we're it. Yeah, I agree. You know, that message should ring clear to everybody you know i think of like you know say like more marginalized groups and stuff like that i mean i, I hate identity politics but you know like say say african-americans or latinos you know if if you i tell them if you if you get government out of their way i have faith that they'll that they'll be able to succeed a lot of times government just holds them back you know and well, if you most get that, of the time yeah most of the time government is holding us all back yeah uh, just at different levels and in different yeah. ways yeah. And, and one of the things, you know, you mentioned identity politics, and, and I tell people all the time, I'm a big believer in identity politics. I believe that the ultimate identity is the individual. Yeah, 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 exactly. And and the, the smallest minority. You know, that's Yeah, you, you know, hey, uh, you want to be in a you want to be in a lonely group? Look out for yourself. <laughs> yeah. Don't don't identify with any other group, just me. Mm -hmm. And and that's why a lot of people say, oh, you know, libertarians are selfish. Yeah. Well, if that's the way you want to characterize it, that's fine. But the reality is, is that this country was built, you know, they used to use terms like rugged individualism. Yeah. To describe what what this country, what this nation was built on. We weren't built to be the Borg. For those <laughs> of you who don't know, that's a Star Trek reference. Um, but yeah, we weren't built, this nation was not built to be a collective. Mm -hmm. It was built to be a nation of individuals. And that's why we talk about the rights to life, liberty, property. You know, Madison was really clear. The difference between a free individual and one who is not is the ability to own property. And mm -hmm. he wasn't necessarily just talking about uh, being able to own a piece of land. He's talking about owning property. Yeah, the fruits of your life. Did I lose you? I think I lost you there for a minute. Oh, sorry. Yeah. So, you know, to me, those, those are the things that, you know, we really have to, if we want to fundraise, then what we have to do is we have to go to the people and we have to let people know we're not the party of, of uh, selfishness. We're the party of I want you to be able to make the decisions in your life that are best for you because you're the one that has to live with the consequences. See, 
government does not handle the consequences of the decisions it makes for your life. For example, anywhere where you've had to lose your job because of this pandemic, right? Because of the government mandated business shutdowns, all of those people who haven't been able to pay their rent or their mortgage, at some point, the government is going to lift the moratorium on evictions. And when they do, all those people are screwed. And does the mm -hmm. government care? No. The government doesn't care, and the government's not going to worry about it because the government will go on. Everybody in government still gets a paycheck. Everybody in government still has a job. Everybody in government still has a home. Everybody in government still gets food to eat and still has a car to drive. Or even better, has a government-provided driver driving them around. <laughs> so do they have to deal with the consequences of the decisions that they make that affect your life? No, they don't. Which is why it's so easy for them to make them because they know that it won't affect them. And that's why, as libertarians, we need to take that message to people. We're not selfish. We just know government doesn't care mm -hmm. what the outcome is for you. You care, and therefore you should get to make the decisions in your life. Indeed. So you know one of the one of the th one of the things I noticed uh, when 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 you were running for governor is uh, you know you caught flack from different sides about like so, you know I think I believe us three guys here I think we're all pro choice uh, but you caught quite a bit of flack from Republicans who said you weren't pro pro life enough or something like that and you know uh, the three of us had talked about you know. Uh, you know, as a libertarian, you know, you know, obviously some people look at it, you know, the NAP, you know, the, the aggression, non-aggression principle, and other people look at it from the fact of how does the government, I mean, how could you even police something like that? So can you, could you clarify like uh, what, what your stance is like? Are you more like, a, you know, you want it eradicated or uh, the, well, the, I'm a pro-life libertarian. Or, or, I'm a pro-life libertarian. Like, but like, so does, does that mean like, like, are you, uh, or for me, I want the I want the state out of it. I don't want the state paying for it. It's like kind well, of where I come from. You're right. I don't well, first of all, I don't think the state I don't think the government should be paying for any nonprofit organizations. Mm -hmm. Period. Mm -hmm. I don't care what the nonprofit does. They shouldn't yeah. be getting money for, they should have to uh, solicit donations from private individuals. Uh, period. Mm -hmm. Um so I don't believe that there should be any funding for any organization that is, uh, because my argument would be, well, why can't I start a nonprofit uh, that, you know, is a charity for uh, uh, fat, bald white guys? <laughs> and why shouldn't the government give me funding? Mm -hmm. Well, the reason why is because government, first of all, the government shouldn't have any money 
right? That's our money. They took it from us. And so for them to take money from us to give to nonprofit organizations, that again takes the choice away from us. Mm -hmm. And we should have the decision made by us how our money gets spent, not by government. Right. right. So I think we all absolutely agree on that one. Right. That part of it, at least. So, like, what would you say? Like, like, where do you where do you see? Do you like uh, where where would you draw the line in that in that in the sand there? Like on your stance, yeah. Like, like how how would you say uh, government should handle that then as as a pro life guy? Because I well, I I, I will tell you that my opinion based on the nap is that if you believe that someone is alive, uh, we don't believe in the use of force to kill them. Mm -hmm. So, how does the state deal with that then? Well, I'm. What do you mean? How does the state deal with like, that? Like, I mean, how how would the, how would the state police those kind of things? Because I know uh, <clears throat> the candidate. Well, I, I think that's a. I think that's a debate that has to be discussed. I think there are yeah. a lot of. I believe our our party platform is, is there are a lot of different opinions on that. Yeah, that's that's that's. And the party like doesn't. The party doesn't take a stance. Yeah. But here again, I I, I fully believe mm. that. Um, If we're going to if we're going to protect each other's lives, then we need to do that. And if we mm -hmm. believe that someone is alive, we need to protect that life, especially if they can't protect it themselves. Now, if they can exercise their Second Amendment rights, <laughs> that would be a whole different story. Mm. Yeah, because I know I know that the Jacob Hornberger was my choice to run for president. He, you know, he's he's very pro-life as well. Mm -hmm. But he said the thing that, that really got him is he just he can't envision how the government could do this in any fair way that doesn't violate a lot of other rights in the process of it. And I thought that was, you know, very, very wise thing, because, you know, you know, how, how, I think the best thing is, you know, from from my point of view is to, you know, educate people, you know, give people uh you know, uh, knowledge about everything and let, and hopefully over time it will just, you know, be less and less, uh, act, uh, uh, you know, not, not necessarily active, but, you know, wouldn't happen as much, you know, I like, understand. Uh, yeah. So that's cool. I wanted to, I wanted to clarify that. Cause I know, I know a lot of people th didn't, you know, they, 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 I think they tried people all over the place, tried to misrepresent what your stance was on that. And at least on Facebook, that's what I saw. Well, and I think a lot of people. I think a lot of people um, want to uh, paint you into a corner mm -hmm. and use one particular issue as a well. This is, you know, the, this is the the uh, because you don't agree with me on this one issue, uh, I can't support you. Mm -hmm. Well, that's your choice, but that doesn't mean I'm going to change my point of view. Right. That's that that that's why that's why that's just a a a great issue for Republicans Democrats because it's an easy way to divide people in into the 50-50 category, you know, pick neither Republican or Democrat because are you pro-life? If you're pro-life then you're Republican, if you're pro-choice then you're Democrat and they got you in that dichotomy on that one particular issue. Um 
when in fact, you know, especially when we're talking about the president, although he picks uh, people for the Supreme Court, um, I don't think I don't see a lot that has changed um, since I, I was born the same year as Roe v. Wade. I don't see that that much has changed in, in terms of laws and abortion over the past 50 years. You know, well, I, and what I what I tell people all the time is there are a handful of, of issues. Uh, it, let's here in Indiana. And I believe, John, you and Steve both live here in Indiana, correct? Correct. So, you know, the the Democrats in Indiana use cannabis as an issue to get voters. But when in the past they've had the opportunity, they don't change anything. Right. Um, abortion, the same with the Republicans. They use it as an issue. They don't want it to change because then they would lose it as an issue to get yeah, that wedge. See, if you don't if you don't have a real message, if you don't have a real platform, then you have to keep that carrot out there to keep people voting for you. It's a great way to raise money too, to for them to it say is. if you don't give me some money, a Democrat's going to get elected and there's going to be abortions yes. in every junior high school. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's a great way to make money. Uh, yeah. Yes, indeed. So I guess uh, the last, last thing I could think of is, so what, what, what's your future plans? I mean, I know you got your pack, you're running and everything like that. So like, uh, are you planning on running for governor or are you going to run for any other office in the process of it? Uh, maybe well, I will tell you that right now I am, uh, I am managing this political action committee. And my focus is on both promoting the issues that are important to us here in Indiana and identifying quality, local, municipal, county, and state candidates who are liberty-minded and who want to run for office and win in 2022 and 2023. And that's what I want to raise money for for this pack. That's what I want to spend my time doing. Mm -hmm. I, I would love to be able to go to all 92 counties in the state of Indiana and continue to spread this message. One of the things that uh, I'm very encouraged by, in the November election, we achieved second place votes in 34 of the 92 counties in this state. Yeah, that's sweet. And it's also very important. Mm -hmm. And we need to keep that, keep that momentum going keep that traction that we've attained, and we need to improve on that. Uh, our ballot access is through our Secretary of State's race in 2022, and I've made the commitment, I'm gonna go out with our Secretary of State candidate when we uh, nominate one, and I'm gonna campaign with that person. 
Mm-hmm. And we're going to focus on those counties where we got second place votes. Because in Indiana, if you finish in second place or better in a county in the Secretary of State's race, you get a seat on the election board. Mm, that's nice. That's huge. Yeah. That is a huge deal. And if we can go out and we can earn seats on election boards in 20, 25, 30 counties out of 92, that will go a long way to establishing the Libertarian Party in the state of Indiana as a viable alternative to the two old parties that are really owned and operated by the same corrupt political establishment, the elitists who pump money into both because they want to hedge their bets. We can overcome that. All we have to do is get out there and get it done. And like I said, that takes money. And we need big donors. And for a libertarian, a big donor is a $500 check, a $1,000 check. So if people watching this podcast can write that kind of check, can put that kind of donation on a credit card, please go out to libertyisessential.com, click on our donate button and donate money because we need it here in Indiana because we have an opportunity to do something huge in 2022. Yeah, that's, that's really exciting. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I forgot one other thing, you know, like, uh, how would you say like the Republicans are on guns compared to like your stance? You know, I, well, I hate all gun regulations. I think that's another one of those carrot issues. Right? Yeah, yeah. Because they have a Republican supermajority in our General Assembly. We should have constitutional carry, no problem. Right. But we don't. Mm-hmm. As a matter of fact, uh, in our state constitution, Article 1, Section 23 says that the General Assembly shall not grant any privilege or exemption to any uh, citizen or group of citizens without uh, it's granted to all citizens equally. Now that's important because a couple of years ago, the General Assembly voted that the members of the General Assembly and their staffers can carry inside the State House but nobody else can. Mm. So they have granted themselves an exemption or a privilege that is not granted to the rest of us equally. They violated the state constitution, but they don't care. And most of our citizens don't realize it. So there's no public outcry. So they get away with it, which is why we need political action committees like Liberty is Essential to sound the alarm, to go out here and say, they're violating the state constitution. They've given themselves a a right, a privilege that the rest of us don't have. 
And we should all, we should not have to pay, we shouldn't have to ask permission to exercise one of the rights in the Bill of Rights. You shouldn't have to have a permit to go to church, to peaceably assemble, to bear arms. There should be no permit needed. So the Republicans, you know, here again, they, they, they talk a good game, <laughs> but they don't back it up. Right. And that's why it's so important. I told somebody yesterday, you cannot come out during election season and bark about what the two old parties aren't doing or are doing. And then as soon as the election's over, bury your head in the sand or wherever else you want to bury your head and then wait for four years and then pull your head out and, and start You've got, it's got to be constant. You have to, if it's, if it really matters, and this is the thing that libertarians, I think, really need to, to, to take to heart. If you really believe in libertarianism and you really believe that it matters, then we need to be campaigning 365 days a year, every stinking year, whether there's an election or not. Yep. Because the Republicans and Democrats are doing it. You got that right. Well, I want to thank you very much. Uh, you, do you want to oh, give you you. information one more time? Yes, yes. The, the, the website, the name of the pack is Liberty is Essential Pack. The website is libertyisessential.com and uh, you can just go out there and you can contact us for some information, sign up for our newsletter and our email updates. Uh, you can look at the upcoming events we're going to have uh, and of course you can hit the donate button and, and donate money. Indeed. Well, I'd like to invite you to come back anytime you got any new news. You can hit me up or I'll hit you up and uh see how things are going over there. You know, I want to keep, keep the ball rolling over there. And well, hopefully Steve and John will hear a lot about what's going on and, and, yeah. and they'll be able to, to say, guys, hey, this is something we should talk about. Yeah. Did you guys have, have anything else you wanted to chime in before we, before we sign off? No, just uh, looking forward to making contact with you on uh, libertiesessential.com. Nice to meet you. Awesome. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. Have, have a great, great evening. All right. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye.